Now I want to declare something to you. God is here. A few weeks ago the Lord spoke. And I'm saying that to you because you and I got to start learning how to respond. Whether God, whether you feel anything or not. Because I believe when God says he's here, he's here. He told us a few weeks ago that he was no longer visiting. But this was a habitation. That his presence is here. His glory is here. And I'm telling you, I believe there's healing. I believe there's miracles. I believe there's deliverance. I believe there's salvation. Whatever you have need of is in this room room. I believe there's answers that you're looking for. We're going to have to move in these days. We've got to get past sensationalism. I really believe that because if we don't, we're going to miss it. Americans thrive on sensationalism. We thrive on that. If it's not sensational, then God isn't in the room. But I'm here to declare that God is bigger than that and doing greater things than that. And I'm just so glad that I, I get to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this time and in this hour. I want you to go in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy tonight, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been talking on Wednesday nights. We've been dealing uh, with strategy that the Lord spoke to us a few weeks ago uh, about strategy that I believe we are in very strategic times. Uh, when I say that, God is setting things up. He's doing things that you and I may not see, may not understand, even as we sing this song tonight. Uh, even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel it, He's working. And sometimes I, I, I really believe that He's doing more than what we can see with our natural eyes. And, and we're really going to have to pay attention to our spirit and what our spirit is telling us. And, and, and one of the things the Lord spoke to me a few weeks ago is don't discount even, even the little things that you may think are insignificant. In other words, you may do all your shopping at Walmart and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, no, don't go to Walmart today, I want you to go to Aldi. And it has nothing to do with whether you got a coupon to go there. It has nothing to do whether the prices are cheaper there. It has everything to do with a king kingdom assignment when you get there. We've got to learn to ask the question, what is the assignment when I go in? Who am I supposed to meet with? Who am I supposed to encounter? And sometimes it may not be anything but a hello. It may not be anything but a bump by your cart. But you are there on a divine appointment with them and for them. I truly believe that with all my heart. Even when you go into a line to pull up the roads to get you a drink. A few weeks ago, I pulled in the roads to get me a Coke. And when I got ready to leave, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell something to the young man that was handing it to me. I didn't know who he was, but I just, it was just something simple. It wasn't anything. But when I gave it to him, I could tell you his countenance greatly changed at the moment we spoke to him. Here the other day, me and Diane last week, was it last weekend we went down to Sergio's and uh, we got put in a room. I may have told you this. Uh, we got put in a room and uh, that we had asked for. And, uh, but when we got up there, it was just I, I don't know, it was just like it squeezed. It just was, I mean, tinier than what we had planned. And so I went down and just was going to see if we could get an upgrade. There was a, a young man and a young lady there. Both of them was as kind as they could be when I walked in to make the reservation. And, uh, or, or, or to, you know, to, to get our reservation. And th this young man over here was sitting, and I noticed that around his neck he had the strangest 
He had the strangest necklace on because it was more like a cage. It was more like a cage, and I could tell, I believe, was a crystal on the inside of it. I thought that was kind of strange. I just kind of, you know, I was even going to comment about it, but I just kind of left it and left it alone. So as when I went up, when we saw the room, I said to Diane, I'm going to go down and see if we can get a better room. And, and so when I got down there, I said, what would another room cost me a little bit bigger, whatever? And he was just so kind. And then the young lady that really had taken my reservation and was working with me said, I got that all fixed up for you. And she happened to be on the phone a few moments. And so after she got off the phone, she said, I'm sorry, my brother is, has been in the hospital. He's been there for quite a while. He's, had, he's been, what is that, sep, uh, he, whatever that is, you, you know, and he's been very, very sick, and he was still there. And uh, so I said, would you mind if I pray for you? And so I just reached over the counter, grabbed her. I said, what's his name? I took her hand, and we just began. To, I just said, God, I'm asking you to touch this young man right now that you heal him and such as that. But I noticed something. The moment I started praying, that dude exited. And I really believe, I re and I noticed after that, he wouldn't visit with me no more. That was it. Because I believe there was a, you know, he was in witchcraft and sorcery. And when we called upon the name of the Lord, he left. But I believe Jesus was touching her and her brother. I believe that with all my heart. And so I just want to encourage you, don't take anything. The other day, me and Pastor was having coffee at, at uh, Huddle House at our second office. Uh, and, and, and the lady that usually, one of them that waits on his pastor said, can I pray for you? I mean, just in a moment, wasn't anything huge, wasn't anything big. He didn't get up on top of the table and shut everybody up and tell them to quit eating until he got done. He just prayed for her, a simple prayer about her need. I'm, I'm just trying to show us we can do it simply and obey the Lord, and you got to trust God that more is getting done than what you know and what you see. Just trust it. Just believe it. Tonight, I'm going to speak to you about unholy strategies. If there are holy strategies by God, I guarantee you that to the level God raises his strategies in your life, you're going to have to see that the enemy is going to raise his strategy against you as well. So I want you to follow with me. Just look at this passage of Scripture. It may be a little strange to use, but I don't think it is. It's what God put in my heart. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said this in verse 7. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Father, I ask you tonight for the spirit of wisdom and revelation right now. That every ear be attentive, every eye be open, and our hearts receptive to what you're saying. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Oh, by the way, to our guests, we're glad you're here. And if you don't mind, if you are a guest, I think there's several in the house, there should be a blue card or a, a, a first-time attenders card in front of you. If you don't mind, fill that out for me. And as you, on your way out, we have our offering buckets. You can just drop it in that bucket. I would appreciate it tonight. I want you to understand, I just said it a while ago, that the enemy is a strategist as well. He knows exactly, I believe, I believe he knows more about us than probably we know ourselves. And he knows how to move, and I believe he knows how to counter 
what God has really set up in our life. And when I say counter, he's countering against you and I, that he'll set us up that we will not be able to fulfill the purpose that God has set in our life. Now, Paul is in this place with Timothy. Paul's writing from prison. Paul is sending a letter to Timothy, his young son in the Lord, that he's encouraging to rise up in the power of God, to rise up with the gift that is on the inside of him that was in his family line and and move forward. But he also said, Timothy, you're going to be ministering in some of the most perilous times. Some of the most difficult times. He said, and that's what he called it. He said, these are going to be perilous times, Timothy, that you're going to operate in. He went on to say, I charge you before God in Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. He said, preach the gospel. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Convince and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering." And teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He said it's there. Yesterday, oh, by the way, thanks everybody for helping us last night at our regional leaders gathering. We had a great time. But God gave me a word yesterday for those that wasn't here. God woke me up yesterday morning. He said, this is a time we're going to have to contend for some things. I believe we're going to have to contend for the truth. We're going to have to contend for the faith. And we're going to have to contend for the land of which we live in. There's a warfare going on if you and I haven't seen it. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. He said, man, I've done my thing. I've poured myself out as a drink offering. I've given everything I have. I'm ready to depart. He said these words again that preach good at a funeral. But I believe there was more instruction in them than there was just a good message for the end of his day when he said, I fought a good fight. Here's a couple of things I want to give you tonight. First of all, I believe we're going to have to choose our fights. Hello. Paul said, I fought a good fight. If there's a good fight, then there must be a bad fight. Are you all with me? If there's a good fight, then there must be a fight that you're not supposed to be in. And I've learned this about the enemy. If he can get you in a fight, he'll get you right where he wants you. Because you'll go swinging into the air, never accomplishing anything. Because he's trying to get you out of the plan, trying to get you out of the peace, trying to get you out of joy, trying to get you out of that anointing and get you into a fight. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are both letters that Paul writes to the church. The first letter, Paul is encouraging them. I'm just going to touch it real briefly. He's encouraging them because of the giftings of God in them. And he's encouraging them because he said, I don't want you to come behind in any good gift but there was some things that he dealt with so now just a short time later the people of God the church had turned to false teachers and everything else and they had turned on Paul and Paul turns up and they're accusing him of not being who he was and being harsh and being this you know you're not much of a man of God you know how it can all get and Paul is writing another letter to them trying to convince him that he was doing 
doing nothing but what God had sent him to do. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, look at this passage of Scripture. Put, put up the verse before that, if you don't mind. He said, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now go to the next verse, Miss D. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant. Listen to what he said. We are not ignorant of his devices. I may just put this in Zach's term. We are not ignorant. We are not ignorant of Satan's strategies. In other words, he was saying this, you guys have come against me, but I have really got to make sure that I am walking in unforgiveness or I'm walking in forgiveness against you lest Satan take advantage of me. Now, now I want you to pay attention to that. Paul, this is Apostle Paul. This is a guy that has encountered Jesus, I mean face to face, and caught up into the third heaven, Paul. And, and, and now he's saying, if I don't walk properly, the enemy is going to take advantage of me. See, he could have got into a big battle. He even had to answer them in such a right and proper way that he said, I'm not going to let you mess with my heart. I'm not going to, because if you do, the enemy's going to take advantage because that is his strategy. If I can mess with with your heart. Listen, church, we've got to be careful about our battles in this time. Not every battle I'm called to be in. I need to know where my fights are. I need to know what I need to be involved in and what I don't need. You, you know, there's some of us, I, I've even learned this over the years as a pastor that loves, a preacher that loves to go do. I, I really believe that there's times that I may, I'm going because I want to go, but it may not necessarily be the Lord. I remember years ago, it's been a long, long time ago, there was a meeting. As a young man, we were, we, you know, a lot younger. I'm still a young man, but a lot younger then. And we were going to meeting after meeting after meeting. And I remember being at the, at the, uh, 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 at the convention center downtown Paducah, and I'm sitting there in this meeting. I'm saying, hey, God, uh, why, why did you have me in this meeting? And just as clear as I'm listening, talking to you, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said, I didn't tell you to come. I didn't tell you to come. And not that there was anything wrong with me going, but sometimes you have to understand something. The enemy will always get you into a place, into a place that may be beyond where you're supposed to be. And that's not that we're to fear, am I in the right spot every moment of the day? I'm just challenging us that we've got to pick our battles. We've got to pick our fights. And sometimes we got to make sure, here's another, we got to make sure it's my fight. Boy, this is a big one. Because sometimes I'm fighting a fight that wasn't meant for me. It's for somebody else. It might be a fight for my family, one of my family members. And when it's one of your family members, it's hard to stay out of it. Hello? And when I'm talking about a fight is God may be working on that individual. God may be doing something there. And because I love them so much, I'm not going to let them go through it. And I may be, I may be interfering with what God's trying to do in them. And it's not my fight. You know, it's like I was watching uh, uh, America's Got Talent here recently. I kind of like that show. I do like it a lot. And uh, I think it's just funny some of the people come on. So this singer comes on and Simon Cow asked him, who told you you could sing? Well, think about this. 
Sometimes we've been messed up because we had a family member said, you're the greatest singer on your planet. And nobody really likes hearing you. But grandma thinks you're all that in a bag of chips. And she's the only one that enjoys you. I'm not, that's not to anybody. I'm just making a point. I thought it was kind of funny. He asked her the question. So what was grandma doing? She's fighting for that person. Sometimes we're not careful. We'll get into the offenses of somebody else because they're close to us. My friend, if they get offended at us, it's affected churches. It's affected moves of God. Because, well, you shouldn't talk to them like that. You shouldn't deal with them like that. Y'all should have been kinder. Y'all should. You had no clue what was going on or maybe the whole issue, but because they got offended and they were a part of you, you picked up their offense and you got into a battle that was really an assignment against you. And remember, if there's more going on in the strategy of the Lord, there's more going on in the strategy of the enemy as well. Because the enemy wants to get everybody at odds. He wants us to begin to take sides and pull at each other. This gathering of leaders around the region that we bring in. The question was even brought to me today. Pastor, is there not a place that the absolute truth of the word is going to play? The question was, do you believe that there is an absolute truth of the word? I believe the word is absolutely true. I believe that. But I also know that sometimes in doctrinal issues, we can see things differently. And if we're not careful, we can let those things divide us, those things separate us, and keep us from being the body of Christ that He wants us to be. I'm just saying tonight, I I want you to see that there is a strategy of the enemy. And you have got to guard, you've got to pick and choose your battles. Watch what battle you're in. Because one of the things, the enemy will keep you fighting. He loves to fight and pull you out of the place of peace. Remember, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I really believe this. We're not meant to fight constantly. There is a battle, but we're not meant to fight constantly. Maybe I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself, so let me go back for a moment. I want you to know that we are, whether you believe this or not, we are in the midst of the greatest spiritual battles that we have ever encountered. One of the greatest spiritual battles. And I can look at several people a lot through the Bible. I'm going to bring just a couple to you tonight uh, to show you something. One, I want you to see Daniel. Daniel was praying. I mean, here's Daniel. He had been taken captive uh, by, by the Babylonian uh, rule, he'd been taken and was, was in captivity. Israel had been in captivity for 70 years, and now he's praying unto the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 10, I want you to see something, if they could put that up. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12, I, I believe it is. Let me find Daniel. Here he comes. Daniel is praying, and the word says this. Uh, Verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, 
understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you while he was speaking this word to me I stood trembling Daniel's been praying and the and the messenger angel Gabriel has been sent to him and I want you to see something that he says Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. I want you to understand, any time that you align your words with God, you align your words with heaven, you have to understand, God hears, and heaven begins to respond. But don't stop there. Read the next verse. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. He said, there's this incredible battle between where you are and heaven. Sometimes it's not that God isn't hearing you. There is a spiritual war going on in a heavenly realm that may be hindering, let me say it like that, that may be hindering the the answer from getting to you. It's real. This kingdom, this, this dark kingdom is as real as the kingdom of light. And there are warriors that are sent, listen, to disrupt and to hinder. So what happens to you in the time, in the time, let's just say you're praying like Daniel, God, I've been believing, I've been standing on your word, and this is happening. You don't see one thing happening. Here's the strategy of the enemy. I'll hold him up. I'll hold the answer. God said his word would not return void. It's got to get through. But pastor, he can delay it some. I believe that. And in the process of delay, what is he working on? He's working on your doubt. Or he's working on your faith. He's causing you to question yourself. He's causing you to question God. Is this ever going to happen or not? And it's all nothing but a delay to get you to shut your mouth. So he said, I heard you the first time. And matter of fact, he said, this war was so intense in the heavenly that Michael, the warring angel, came and contended with me. I believe he moved him out of the way so that Gabriel could come and bring the answer to Daniel that Daniel needed at the time. But then I've never seen this before, or I've seen it, just overlooked it. Look at verse 20. Then he said, Do you not know why I have come to you? Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. That battle didn't end because he got through and the answer came. He said, now I got to go back. I got to get back into this spiritual conflict because I'm holding darkness back and so that the pathway from heaven to earth is clear. Maybe that's what Jacob saw a little bit while Jacob was in the garden when he saw the ladder that extended into heaven. And he saw, he said, I saw angels ascending and descending. They were bringing answers. I, I really believe that they were in, they were in getting themselves engaged in the, in the issues of the earth. And may I tell you, the prophets are declaring, and I believe the word of God, that God wants more of the heavenly host engaged with our lives than ever before. And we're going to see it. But notice how he responded. When we speak the word of the Lord. So let's go to another guy. Are you okay? I just want you to see there's a spiritual battle. And if you think the enemy is just going to let us come and take over the land and get every blessing and see awakening and revival full manifested in the earth, you're greatly mistaken. 
His time is still here. His time isn't up. He knows it's coming. But he's still battling against us, the church. One of my favorite books, well, I like all of them, but a great story, and it's come up several, several times in the last few weeks, even in our staff meeting the other day, was, was the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, again, Israel had been taken captive. Their city had been overtaken. Their walls had been taken down. Their temple had been destroyed. And the people of God had come back. God made a way. The temple was being restored. And now the walls of the city were going to be rebuilt. And Nehemiah was a, was a cupbearer in an unrighteous king's court. And he hears of what is going on in his homeland among his fathers and his countenance drops. And the king sees it and says, what is this that I see upon you? He said, should I not be, I'm paraphrasing, should not my heart feel heavy because of what is happening in my homeland and what is left of the people? And he asked God for favor as he fasted for the people. And God gave him favor to go back, back to, to Israel, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall walls of the city. He goes back and he marches around for, for three days, not telling anybody. Matter of fact, nobody, according to if I read it right, nobody even knew that he was riding around looking at what was happening. But God was giving him a plan and giving him a mission to go back and rebuild the walls of the city. Then he gathered Michael. He gathered the people of the city together and said, the good hand of God is upon me and he's given us favor that we can rebuild build this city. And the Bible said they strengthened their hands with him. But the moment he did that, Sambalat and, and Tobiah and Gisham rose up against him and said, what is this thing that you're going to do? Will you rebel against the king? And Nehemiah answered and said, The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise and build. Listen to what he says. But you have no portion. You have no memorial in this. I believe when he was saying, You have no memorial. There is nothing legal that you can hold over my head to keep us from doing what God has said. But that's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to come to you. In a moment's time, and he's going to convince you of everything from your past, of everything that you're done. And that's why you're going to have to know that you have been taken care of by the blood of the Lamb. And you're going to have to stand in that. If not, he will take advantage of you every time. So here's the interesting thing about Sanballat and Tobiah. Gisham, I think, is only mentioned just a couple of times. I'm not going to deal with him. I want to deal with Sambalat and Tobiah for a moment. Because they deal with Nehemiah and the people of God more than any of them through the next few chapters of this book. Sambalat's name simply means this, the hatred of the enemy. Hatred of the enemy. His name also, his name also means enemy in secret. The enemy in secret. So he's come among them as hatred and an enemy in secret. But Tobiah's name is more interesting to me than his name. Because it means distinguished of Jehovah. These two are walking hand in hand. We're going to have to learn to really walk in discernment 
with those that we, that are, we are allowing close to us and even in our lives. Because remember, the enemy in secret can, despite, can disguise himself even as an angel of light in our eyes. So he's always setting a trap. He's always, this isn't to put fear in us. I'm just trying to get us to realize God's given us a strategy. I just don't want the enemy to overtake us. So Nehemiah and these people start out, and the first thing that starts happening, they start building, lays out how it's all going to be in chapter 4. I want to walk through a couple of verses real quickly with you. In chapter 4, but when it happened, when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious, very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. So now, here's what they're coming. They're mocking the people of God. Who do you people think you are? They're bringing every accusation they can against them to get them to question who they are and the purpose of what they're doing. Because if he can get you to question who you are, he can put the doubt in you that you're even called to do that and get you to walk off the assignment of which God has given you to do. So he kept throwing things at them. He spoke his. He spoke before his... Uh, and he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, Will these feeble Jews, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones of heap, rubbish, stones that are burned? And Tobiah the Amorite was right beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, it will break it down. Now they're questioning their ability, questioning that there's nothing, there's no strength, there's no life, there's no fortress in what they're doing. It's always coming with an accusation. Look at verse 6. When they couldn't stop them, verse 6 said, so we built the wall. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was built together up to half, and, and for the people had a mind to work. Now when it happened, now when it happened, when Sebalite, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Look at verse 8. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. Now we've got a conspiracy. Now we don't just have one assignment or one enemy. We've got a number of enemies working together. This is something you need to watch when things are going on in your life. A lot of times when people come, especially marital issues, people will come and I you know, have to deal with the, you know, counsel a few people. I'm really not a counselor, but the first thing that I ask them, tell me, talk to me about where are you financially? Where are you in this spot? Where are you in this spot? And what I find most of the people, they're maxed out in every one of those areas. A lot of times it's the same way in our lives when we feel like we're being overtaken and discouraged. It's not one thing. There could be the straw that broke the camel's back, but usually there are a number of things that have already laid in on top of you because of the conspiracy. That's what they're doing. They're conspiring together. They're joining forces. They're moving together to overtake you in a place. And notice what he said the outcome would be, to create confusion. I want to create confusion. 
That's what the enemy, I want to get everybody confused. You realize that once that you start getting confused, it'll start, even what you hear starts getting twisted. That's why you got to be careful with things that you make sure the battles that you are getting into because it'll bring great confusion in many, many areas of our life. Are you okay? And then notice what else happened. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because of them. We set a watch. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Here's another area I believe is a great assignment of the enemy in this day. I hear this all the time. Two things. I'm either wore out or I'm too busy. I'm just wore out. Or I hear it everywhere. Man, I just don't know if I can take much. Or we're busier than we could ever be. I believe that is a strategy of the enemy. That he wants just, he's going to break us down. And you got to be careful to take a moment. Because the moment you get too tired, the enemy is going to take advantage of you. Okay, are you all okay? I want to make sure because you all look, you know, like, okay, where are we at? You know, let's look at Elijah for a moment. Elijah went and he had to do battle against Ahab and he had to call fire down out of heaven. He went up against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. They slew them there when they called fire out of heaven. And the next thing you know, he's sitting in a cave. He's sitting in a cave crying out, God, I'm the only one. Never thought about this until I saw somebody's message the other day that said he had gotten tired because of the battle. And the moment he got tired, fear entered into him. And he began to feel like, God, I'm the only one doing this thing. That's why we have to be careful. Notice something that was happening here. There is work. Listen, life is difficult right now. It's hard. And again, we've got, to, we've got to catch our battles. We don't need to be in everything. I know that's hard for some of us, but some people are workaholics. They never know when to stop. I believe there's a reason God gave us a night to rest. And we don't rest because we're wore out. We're rest to prepare ourselves for the next day. We've got it backwards. We rest because we are wore out. But that's never what God intended. He intended for us to rest so that we could handle the next day. Even the land, if you go back under the law, he said, I think it was ever seven years, he said, don't sow on that ground. Let it rest for a year so that it can produce the next seven. If that's a principle of the land, maybe we need to hear that because it's difficult for us in our age to relax. It's difficult for us to rest. But the labor was there. Sometimes sometimes things are just hard. Life is hard. It's difficult. Sometimes projects are hard that we get ourselves into. But notice, notice here what, what, what they did. And there was so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Not only that, it just didn't seem like there was enough. The rocks, the stones had been burnt. They had been, they had been crushed, though some of them that had failed. There was so much rubbish that we have to push through. Maybe there's a good point. Some of us need to get out of the rubbish. You need to get out of the rubbish. You're not going to change it. 
You're not going to make it new. you got to get out of it. Let God deal with that. And maybe we need to look for some new stones or we need to look for some new things to rebuild our wall. The work. Sometimes I believe the enemy will take advantage of us even at our own bodies. And again, I think our words are everything. That we've got to be careful say, you, you know, how we speak. I just can't do this no more. I can't do this no more. Well, you might not can do that anymore like you once did. But we need to be careful that we don't strengthen it. That we give it strength and we'll find ourselves not being able to do anything. Because what we say is what we get. All right, let's get off that. You'll look like you want to hurt me with that. And then he went on in verse 11. And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times. The enemy came and began to speak and he kept speaking the same thing over and over. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. You guys are not going to do this. Ten different times. He said ten different times. What did Goliath do against the people of Israel? Every morning, every morning, he got up, give me a man to fight for me. and If he can kill me, then I'll win. But if I kill him, and in their eyes it looks like, dude, we don't have a chance against you. First thing up of the morning, we hear death. Last thing of the night, we hear death. We get up in the middle of the night, we hear death. What has our news been filled with for the last three years. Nothing but death the moment we get up in the middle of the day, in the evening, before we lay our heads, and we don't realize we're being consumed with the fear of dying. That's what the enemy wants to do, is keep us in fear. We keep hearing the first thing that happens. What are they going to do with our gas prices? They're raising the interest rates, all of this stuff. And many of us are constantly feeding upon that instead of realizing what the Word of God said. God said, I'll supply all of your needs. Then in chapter 5, they begin to accuse one another. If he can't get you from without, let's go within. We'll start accusing one another. Keep in mind the whole picture. If you don't know the whole picture, there's a drought in the land. Not only do they do have Sambalat and Tobiah against them, there's a drought. Things have been tough. And not only that, the king keeps taxing everybody. He just doesn't care. He's raising taxes. Now, in order to provide grain for their family, they're selling off their their they're selling their lands or they're they're asking their other uh, Hebrews, will you provide for me corn? Yeah, I will, but you're going to give me your land. They were requiring ushery of them, holding them, in a sense, hostage with, with what they had. And they're fearing for their lives. They're fearing for their children's sake. For in that day, if you didn't pay your bills, they'd take your kids. They would take your kids ransom, and they'd make them slaves until the bills were paid. And all of this stuff is happening. Now they're accusing one another. I remember years ago we were doing a building project in Paducah. My dad was retired at that time. And it was one of those projects I had a couple men working on the church. They were very gifted like Tom and several other men in the house. And, 
And he had built, this brother had built several churches and homes all over the area. And, and he said, Pastor, I'll do this work, but you're going to have to let me do it at my schedule and when I can. Because not only did he build houses and build churches, he had a full-time job he worked. So we said to him and his son-in-law, yes, you can do it. And I remember it was a hot day like it's been in the last couple of days. Walter and his son-in-law was out there on the, out there on the uh, you know, ladders. They're up there hammering away. And me and dad had the assignment down on the ground of, I guess, just handing stuff up to them. Because they told me, just like Tom told pastor, stay out of it. Let us handle this. And, uh, but I remember we were sitting there and it was hot. And we had been doing this for days. And my dad started in. I just don't know where the other men of the church are. I just don't understand why the other men of the church aren't helping on this project. And I immediately had to stop my dad. I said, wait a minute, dad, stop. You need to remember what day it is and what time it is. It's Tuesday. And it's like 10 in the morning. Our men are working. And besides this, Walter said he didn't need all them. They would take care of it. I said, if you're tired, you need to go home. Because he was tired. That was the problem. See, he gotten tired, and he felt like we're happening to do it all, and he started accusing, well, pastor, you know, it doesn't go, oh, but believe me, that goes a long way when we start accusing one another. I'm just telling you, because of what God's do, going to do, and he is doing in our church, that we've got to guard ourselves in particular, not to point our fingers at anybody. Because we don't know what has been assigned. We start going at things that we don't have a clue of what is going on. Maybe we need to ask a few questions instead of just assuming. But they began to accuse one another. And then if he couldn't do it that way, they came to, they came to Nehemiah and said, Hey, why don't you come over here and meet with us? Started pulling them away. You're always going to have somebody going to try to pull you away from the place that God wants you to be. Oh, it never fails. You know, it's better over here. They've got more going on over here. And you're right where you need to be, but in the moment, because the enemy's trying to bring us straight, I'm going to try to pull people away. I guarantee you people have been pulled away because they thought the show was better somewhere else. Or they thought everything else was better somewhere else. I've got news for you. Church is church wherever we go. And you go in and bear the burden of responsibility. You're going to feel it there just like you do here. I had a number of intercessors years ago got upset with us. I don't know what for. I guess because I wasn't following what they thought I ought to do. And they went somewhere else. And word always comes back to us. Nothing gets said really doesn't get back to us as pastors. And I remember hearing them say, oh, you guys, man, it is so wonderful over here. It is the greatest thing that ever happened. And you know what? I have to be honest. It messes with my heart when I hear people say that. I'm, I'm kidding. Because see, it's an assignment. It's a strategy to, to, to destroy me, to stop everything. And I said, Lord, what about this? And I really believe the Lord comforted my heart by saying, he said, yeah, it's good because they haven't taken responsibility. It's kind of like going on vacation, living in a condo or living in a hotel room where you don't have to make the bed, sweep the floor, throw the towels on the floor. Somebody's going to take out the trash. Man, that's living, but it's not the real world. Church is the same way. 
I can go be refreshed somewhere else. It's real easy when I have no burden of responsibility. But the important thing is i got to know where I'm supposed to be. The strategy of the... I want to separate you. I want to divide you. And when he couldn't get him to come to a city, he got him. He said, why don't we meet in the temple? Now we're really going to get religious because we're... You know, I'm more spiritual than everybody else. And boy, that can become a strategy of the enemy to destroy you and destroy everybody else. And the enemy keeps working. And the enemy keeps working. And the enemy keeps working. But Nehemiah stayed faithful. And he overcome the strategy of the enemy. And they completed the task in 52 days. My my thing for you tonight, we've got to we got to make sure that we're fighting the right battles. That we're right, fighting the fight, right battle. Here's the second thing real quick. i got to land the jet. You guys are ready. He said, I finished the race. Man, if I'm preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to me. Seriously. He said, I, got, I have finished. I finished the race. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, rather. I have finished my course. This is something I believe we need to get. We need to get a finishing mentality. You know, it's been said of this church. I'll be honest with you. And I have to bring it back to me because it must be some of my nature. We start a lot of stuff and never finish. We get things going and we don't finish. Things that we say we're going to do, we're not going to finish. And there could be a purpose behind that, could be a reason. But we need, I really believe in this day, we need to have a finishing attitude. Matter of fact, God's going to finish this thing up, what He had planned. He's going to finish up. But we need to have a finishing attitude. If I'm going to have a finishing attitude, it means I'm going to have to take and make priority out of some things. I'm going to have to look at what is important. I'm going to have to see what needs to be done and put it in perspective and put it in priority. As I was looking at this, I want to tell you why most people don't finish. Here's the reason. It's not because you don't want to. It's because most of the time you don't start properly. We don't finish Because we don't start properly. Jesus spoke a parable in the book of Luke chapter 14. And I believe it's the 28th verse verse of Luke 14. And he said this. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish? Now, he said the proper way to finish is to start properly. Do you have enough? And that may not be just money. Money may be the least of it. Do you have the time to do it? Do you have the wherewithal or the fortitude to stay with it? You know what I'm talking about because it's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight in it. There's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a hard moment. He said, which of you going to build a tower? Does he not sit down first and see whether he has sufficient to finish? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. 
But that can become that can become a lifestyle of never finishing. And maybe sometimes because we get more going at one time than what we should have ever got going. Maybe we didn't look at things properly. Maybe we didn't see if I really had what it had. And notice what he says if this happens. He said, lest after he has laid the foundation. He didn't say you couldn't get it started. Because the foundation is the start. But if he's not able to finish it, all who see it began to mock him. Because we didn't get finished, we feel like failures. And everybody said, I knew you wasn't going to make it. I knew you weren't going to get there. We need a finishing attitude. Even as a church, as a pastor, as an individual, we need to have finishing. You know, there's a saying, why, why not put off till tomorrow? Why not, why not put off till tomorrow what you should do today? How easy it is. You know, I'll get around to doing that tomorrow. And sometimes tomorrow never seems to get up. And then what I don't realize, I have created a lifestyle of not finishing, and I don't see it. I don't know it. You know what is amazing to me about church? I'm being very transparent with you. Is that okay? I can go into other churches and other homes and see what I don't see in my own. Do it all the time. I can point out that, why didn't they finish that? And I don't see the ton of stuff that went. We were looking at a church the other day. They took us into this back room. Took us into this back room to where the electrical panel was. And I don't know why the cover was off it, but there was wires everywhere. Running out of that thing. I'm thinking, hey, they didn't finish. But I can take you to places in this church. <laughs> and that happened in 92. When it was done, and you know what? It's still not covered up. Out of sight, out of mind. I don't have time, don't have sufficient, don't know what to do with it, don't know where to start. But Paul said, I finished. I finished. If we're going to get done what God, God said, we have to understand, these aren't haphazard projects. Somebody said something to me there here a few weeks ago. Said uh, one, a young couple said something to me, not in criticism, anything. Uh, why do we? Why is? Why are we always seeming like in a move of God? God's always doing something new. Why is God always seemingly doing something new? And if we're not careful, we as the church have created this thing. That we really didn't even finish the last season till we're into another season. Or we're into another place trying to create something new instead of just staying the course. Sometimes because we're competing with others. Sometimes because, it, you know, we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that. Not realizing, I believe, God isn't in a plan B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through. He's been working the same plan. The only ones that gets in other plans are us. Hope it's making sense. But we've got to have a finishing attitude. For the purpose of the kingdom, I'm going to see this move of God through. I'm going to stay with it. We're going to get it done. We have to set our priorities if we're going to. If we're going to have a finishing attitude. Paul also said, listen, if I'm going to win this thing, 
If I'm going to get the prize, then I got to cross the finish line. We've become the culture that says, you know, we're going to give everybody a trophy for just getting in. And we've taken away the discipline to finish, the discipline to work hard, the discipline to do it right. Now, I know it makes everybody feel good. I know that, but that's begun to be the culture for years. Let's give everybody a trophy just for getting there. Paul said, listen, he said this, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith, and then he says, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not only for me, but to all those that I believe do just what Paul did. They fight the good fight, they finish the course, they keep the faith. He says in the book of Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, I've got, I'm, I'm, really try, I'm really landing this jet, I really am. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Can you put it up there for me? There you go. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Everybody gets in the race, but there's only going to be one that's going to win. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That means I got to do it skillfully. I got to do it masterfully. I, I, I just got to be determined. I'm going to get to the other end. Go to the next verse. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Next verse. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Go one more verse. But I discipline my body. Man, I don't like that. And I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others... I myself become disqualified. So Paul tells us there's a place here that if I don't do it right and I don't finish and I don't carry on, I can disqualify myself from things that God even planned for me to, to work out. Last verse. Paul said, I kept the faith. I kept the faith in spite of all the opposition." I stayed true to who God said I was. I believe God. I've stood there believing that he is because it was Paul that said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He said, the just shall live by faith. He taught us that. And he said, I believe God would do exactly what God said he would do, that he would answer the promise the way that he answered. And when I didn't know how to do it, I didn't feel like I had strength. He said... <coughs> He said in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And when I don't feel like I have what I have need of to do it, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. I kept my confidence and my faith in Jesus. I never wavered even when there was opportunities. Man, you have to understand something. He was shipwrecked. He was beat, threatened, locked up in prison unrighteously. I mean, everything under the sun. He had every opportunity to quit. But he said, I stayed strong. I believe it's time to really get some bold believers in the hour that says, I will not bend. I will not bow. I will not turn around. I will not give up. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to believe the Lord. I believe that's where we're supposed to be. 
We've become a real wimpy church. And I believe God is saying to his body, I want you to rise up in my strength, in my ability, in my power, and unashamedly declare, I am a son. I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been washed in the blood. I'm not ashamed to say, I have entered into the waters of baptism, into his death, into his resurrection. I'm a spirit-filled believer. And I'm unashamed of who I am and what God has done for me and I'm not afraid to say God is my provider he is my source he is my healer he's my everything he's all that I need and much much more I will not quit trusting him I believe there's a way to live. I believe there's a way to walk. I don't always do it well. And sometimes I stumble. But I've learned some like David. I get up and repent and get myself back in this race. Get myself back where I need to be before the Lord. There is a battle. There is a strategy that God has for us. But I assure you the enemy is raising, raised, raising his level of strategic warfare against us. I'm just putting caution into you. That's my assignment. To guard, to protect you guys. To tell you, watch out. I don't want the enemy to ravish you. I've I've watched good people get destroyed. Back when years ago when some of our major, major leaders fell, I heard people say, I will never go to the house of God again. And how sad that was. And for some I know, I don't know that they ever went back. And I've talked to people since I've been here for 25 years that got hurt years ago by church, by people in the church that will not ever don the house again nor get involved. Because I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want my, I don't want to get bruised. Some of you've got friends that have done that. And we don't think that the enemy knows how to raise those. He knows how to mess with you to take you out before you ever get in this thing. But God is watching over. And as a watchman, I've got a responsibility to tell you, guard yourself with all diligence. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. The scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence. Some of you that want ministry. Oh, I just want to be in the ministry. Well, you might as well go put the bullseye on your heart. Because the enemy's going to come and he's going to take a good shot at it. And sometimes he's not using arrows. He's going to take an axe and throw at you. Because he's going to try to split you in half. And a lot of times he'll win even in that spot if we're not careful. we got to know how to cover and protect one another. Don't receive everything you hear. You don't know everything till you go talk to somebody. I, got, I, I have vowed to the ministers of this area, I will not talk evil of you. I will not speak evil of you. If I hear something, I'm going to go find out for myself. Because Michael may tell it. Last night I had pastor share a dream. I shared it before him. But he had to correct something. He did how I said it, how he heard it. We both heard it the same way, but I said it differently. That could have been very offensive to to the guys that were here. 
But I was just trying to get it out. That's, you know how I am. I was just trying. To, I didn't mean anything, but I didn't even think about that. But I'm glad he corrected me because he was protecting me. He was protecting what was going on. It don't take a lot. It just takes, it just takes a word. It just takes me misunderstanding. It takes things going here and there. And before long, that thing gets so twisted out of whack. And now the enemy's got his foot. The strategy worked. Because I can, I can get Joni to say something. I can get Larry to look different. And all of a sudden, we're all messed up. We just got to make sure that we're not falling into the hands of the enemy. Come on and stand with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for your great grace that covers us. I thank you for your great love that you loved us. I like how, I, you know, I, when I read that in Daniel, he, he said to Daniel several times, greatly loved of the Lord. And I believe that's what the Lord would say to you tonight, that you are greatly loved of Him. And He is watching over you, and He is guarding you. You are greatly loved of the Lord. You got something, Donnie? Yep. Yep. Diabetes. We're going to pray for him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, you're able to heal and restore that leg tonight. And Lord, I know the weightiness that this is upon that family, upon Pastor Lee and upon his wife. And I pray tonight, God, that your healing hand would be sent into that hospital room right now. God, I believe for restoration tonight. And I believe you tonight that you will put your hand on Pastor Lee and his wife and the rest of the family and that church because I know how close they are. God, to Donnie's family, I just speak peace over them right now. We speak peace. Peace in the name of Jesus and release the healing virtue of God. Get your paws up in the air, would you? I bless you tonight to walk in the grace and the comfort of the Lord. I bless you to walk under His covering and in the security of who He is, that you are the loved of the Lord, that His angels have been assigned to you to protect you and to cover you and to see that you will fulfill everything that God has called you to walk in. May you walk in peace. May you walk in joy. May you walk in the abundance of the kingdom. And may you know that the God of heaven will supply everything you have need of for every moment of every day. For he's the God that is all sufficient. And he's the one that is capable. And he is everything that you have need of. I bless you to walk in that now. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good night, everybody. God bless you.